Well, good morning, everyone. It's so great to be with you. Um, I promise I won't hide behind my giant computer. I'm height challenged. Uh, I was here with you, let's see, I think it was last year. It was online, though. I don't know how many of you were watching during that time, um, but it was. I was preaching from here to a very empty room. <laughs> so it is great to actually have faces that I can see. And I um, emailed with several of you during that time. I think I was with you for maybe a month for four different Sundays. So I felt like I got to know some of the people here who were working in the back and doing sound and some of the worship team. But like I said, so great to actually have faces in the room and to get to see you guys. Um, I am so sad that my family couldn't be here with me today. I am married to my husband, Ryan, and we have, we've actually been in January, we will have been married for 20 years, which sounds crazy. I know, crazy. It gets, it only gets better. That's what I can say about that. Um, and we have four kids, three boys and a little girl at the end. And I was just telling some people, um, earlier during our prayer time before the service that we're just kind of in this crazy season of life where I was like, we're kind of hustling our kids everywhere. I mean, you know, parents of like teenagers, you get it. I'm like dropping one off at a basketball tournament this morning and driving over here. And oh, anyway, so sorry that my family isn't here, but they send their greetings. My husband prayed over your church this morning and um, yeah, so wish they could be here. One last little bit of housekeeping. I also bring greetings from The Way Church in Vancouver, which is where I'm on staff. And many of you, of course, will remember Chris Price, your old pastor, now my boss, <laughs> one of my bosses. And we love Chris and Deandra and their family. And so I bring greetings from our church and just so, so thrilled that I get to be here. So let's get to uh, our text this morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, and this is um, a part of the Bible that even if you have never been in a church before, you probably will have heard at least portions of this part of Scripture. This is what is famously called the Sermon on the Mount. And just to give you a bit of context for what's happening in Matthew 5, we open on Jesus. He is sitting literally on the side of a mountain, hence the Sermon on the Mount. And he's got all of these uh, followers gathered around him. And he's sitting down and he's teaching them. And he is just the best teacher. And he gives in this sermon which is about two chapters long, he gives tons of very profound and practical advice. He is going to talk about things like money and marriage and divorce and worry. I mean, just very practical things that you and I and they would have also faced. Today, we are going to be focusing in on verses 21 through 26 as Jesus teaches his followers about anger. Um, I used to think that I didn't really deal with anger, uh, and then I had kids. <laughs> and um, it's kind of a joke, kind of not, because here the reality is that um, I just never knew that I could be, like that I had that thing inside of me that could be so quick to flare up. Like I just didn't know it was there until I had children, and then I stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night, and I was like, ah, you know. Um, so this is not me. And then, and then there's, you know, obviously more, more serious stuff that has come up. And I'm like, wow, I didn't know that that was in there. I don't know if any of you felt like that, but you're like, wow, that's, I don't like that inside of me. And so I just want you to know this is not me teaching at you today. Like this is a lesson that I 
continually return to, even, I mean, if I can just be super vulnerable with you, even just this morning, my husband and I had just like one of those little, you know, <laughs> missteps, and we just had to like, just get it right. We just had to get it right very quickly, and, it, and we did. And so I'm just letting you know, this is a lesson that I, I need to, and I need to return back to it very often. And even on a bigger scale, maybe, I think given our current cultural moment, the current cultural climate that you and I find ourselves living in right now on a day-to-day -day basis, all you have to do is open your phone, look at the news, turn on the TV, look at the news, and see that there are so many things that can polarize us. So many different issues. Racial tension, political stuff, I mean, COVID, the last few years, right? There are so many things that could potentially polarize us. And I'm not talking about like them out there. I'm talking about us in here, like in the church. So many things that could potentially try to divide us. And so what I want to suggest to all of us is that I really do believe that, the, that Jesus is teaching here in Matthew chapter 5 about anger is a lesson that many of us in the church ought to be revisiting very, very often, including myself. So let's read Matthew 5, beginning in verse 21. It says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's just pray before we get into this. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for your word. We come before you this morning as your people. We come in humility and we ask you, Jesus, to be our teacher we just humble ourselves before you. And I pray that um, if, if it takes ruffling our feathers a little bit, that that's what you would do. We open ourselves up to your good work, Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so as I see it, I believe that there are three different movements that we can identify in this story. So let me give you a bit of a roadmap for where we're going to go today. First, we're going to see that Jesus is going to identify a problem. And then we're going to see, the second thing we're going to see is he's going to give us some examples of the problem. And then the third thing we're going to see is Jesus give us a solution to the problem. Pretty, pretty clear roadmap. First, he's going to tell us what the problem is. He's going to give us some examples of the problem. Then he's going to give us a solution to the problem. Jesus really is the best teacher. Um, so if you're taking notes, the title of today's message today would be called Radical Reconciliation. And I don't always um, title a message necessarily, and I certainly don't always tell people what 
the message title is, but I'm telling you what it is today because I want you to know we are talking about anger, but we're not going to stay there because Jesus doesn't stay there. He talks about anger, but he moves us forward to this idea of what it means to be rightly related, what it means to be reconciled to one another, even though we might disagree over some stuff, which we probably will at some point in our lives disagree over some stuff. So we're going to talk about anger, but we're going to move to reconciliation. So here's the first thing that we're going to see this morning in this text. We just read it. The first thing, Jesus identifies a problem. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay, let's just pause right there. The people have heard it said, do not murder. So whenever I read that, the question that comes to my mind is, okay, where would they have heard that before? Um, If you are a student of scripture, you would know right where they would have heard it. They would have heard it from the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20. That's the sixth command. And so they would have, the people sitting around Jesus um, on this mountainside, they would have known the Ten Commandments. It would have been part of their um, regular rhythm of life. They would have had them memorized, probably much better than we do. And so for Jesus to say this command, they would, have, like, they would have totally understood what it was he was saying. And in fact, I wonder if they would have been sitting there thinking to themselves, yep, this is one command that I'm pretty good on. Like the others I might struggle with, but the whole do not murder thing, I'm good on because I'm not murdering people every day. I might have a problem being jealous or, you know, no gods before you, but murder, I'm good. Like, <laughs> let's, we can move on because I'm good on the murder thing. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 22 and he says, but I tell you, he says, you've heard it said this, but I'm telling you, anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. So what happens here? Jesus isn't saying that do not murder is a wrong commandment or that they have been taught incorrectly. That's not what Jesus is saying. Instead, Jesus is just expanding on this original teaching. He's not contradicting it. He's just broadening it. So basically what Jesus is doing here is saying, listen, murder isn't the problem. It's never really been the problem. Murder is a symptom of the larger problem. The root of the problem here, the deeper issue, is actually anger. And that's what he's getting at. Uh, Years ago, my dad was... um, had some weird health things and all of these seemingly unrelated issues, like just weird symptoms. And I think it was like a two-year process of, of my mom and him and going to doctors and like trying to figure out, you know, what's going on and medication, changing his diet, all these different things. And after about two years, I remember one doctor, the way my dad told it, <laughs> he came home and he said, the doctor said to me, I think we should probably just take out your gallbladder, which doesn't sound like a very... <laughs> convincing way to say, let's take out your gallbladder. But anyways, they took it out, and that was, that was the ticket. After that, all of these seemingly unrelated weird symptoms went away. So I think when I was reading the story about Jesus and talking about anger and how it relates to murder, to, in my mind, I was thinking of like a good doctor, a good doctor who wants to get to the root of what the actual problem is. So that he can, so he doesn't want to just treat the symptoms, but wants to treat the root of the problem. And I think that this levels the playing field a little bit for all of us. Because you and I 
may not desire to murder anyone on a daily basis. Like that may not be the thing that just jumps to the front of our minds whenever we get angry. Like that's not the first solution to the problem. But we have all been angry. I don't care how nice you are, <laughs> how kind that we think we are. Like we have all been angry at some point or another. So I just want to break it down a little bit. And anger, according to the um, Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is defined this way. It is a strong feeling of displeasure and usually antagonism. And I just want to state what I hope is maybe obvious, maybe it's not, but there are times, biblically speaking, there are times when it is actually very, very appropriate for you and I to be angry. There is such a thing as like a holy anger. Like you and I should be angry over some things in our world right now. It is right for us to be angry over human trafficking. It is right for us to be angry over child pornography. It's right for us to be angry over systemic racism. It is right for us to be angry whenever we see a gunman go into a grocery store and just senselessly kill people. It is right for you and I to be angry when we watch the news and we see a gunman hole himself up in a classroom with fourth graders and take 21 lives. We should be angry. We should be, absolutely. Jesus got angry, we know that in the Bible. He got angry over the money changers in the temple. But again, this is what we would call like a, in the church we often call it like a righteous anger. Um, I like to call it a holy or, or a healthy anger. It's an anger over an injustice. It's an anger over a wrong that's been done. But, but it's um, the kind of anger where we're not, um, we're not sinning. In fact, Paul in the book of Ephesians, he says, be angry. He says it, be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. The implication is that there are times when it is possible for us to be angry and not sin. That's what a healthy or a holy anger is. And this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about the right kind of anger. He's talking about the wrong kind of anger that bubbles up inside of us. There are two words in the Greek. Um, so the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so we like to go back to the original language to find out what, what the words meant that Jesus was using. And there are two words, and I find this so interesting, two words for anger um, that Jesus is talking about. So the first word is the word thumos. And it's, um, it's like a quick flare-up kind of anger. You know how is, I used that um, example earlier of stepping on a Lego? It's that kind of an anger where it's like easily ignited, but then it goes away pretty easily. You know, you get cut off in traffic on your way to work, and you're like, ah! And then you stop and get a Starbucks and you can get to work and you've forgotten about it already. It's that kind of an anger. That's thumos. The other word for anger in the Greek is the word orgizo. And this is like a deeper kind of anger. This is the kind of anger where you just like brood over something. You know that kind of anger <laughs> where you just can't move on or you won't move on, where you're holding a grudge of sorts. Thumos is like a moment of anger where orgizo is more like just a state of anger. Both types of these anger are not okay for us, but it's the second word, orgizo. This is the word that Jesus is using here in the original language in Matthew. This is the kind of anger he's addressing, the kind that you and I would allow to fester. 
Now, this word can also, it's a present participle, which if you're anything like me, your brain just immediately checked out when I said that. Um, it's, it just means um, that it's an active thing. In other words, it's like saying whoever is being angry, whoever is remaining angry is what Jesus is saying. Dale Bruner is a theologian and a scholar, and he said that it could be best translated this way. Whoever is remaining angry or whoever is nursing a grudge. That's what Jesus is talking about. Like, it is something that we are doing and that we continue doing. It's not a moment of anger. It's something that we're just staying in. We're living in anger. Um, I, I, I can't remember if I told you this last time I was here or not, but uh, my husband and I, I'm originally from Texas, and I went to college in Alabama. And so for about nine years, my husband and I lived on this um, great street in Mobile, Alabama, if any of you have ever heard of it. And um, it, was, it was lovely, and we had this great street of lots of young families, and we all had kids like in the same year, our firstborn in the same year. And so we started this thing called Sunset Thursdays. Every Thursday night, we'd come out on our lawns, and we would switch different houses, and we would have appetizers together. Really fun. And we just did this for, I mean, years. Probably, there were probably 40 of us that would just come out every Thursday night and do this. In the South, you can do this because there's not bad weather. <laughs> there may be a hurricane or two, but, you know, besides that, um, you could count on it being sunny and great. So uh, we would do this, and one particular Sunset Thursday... And I couldn't even tell you what happened or what was actually said. But there was a miscommunication that took place between me and my uh, next-door neighbor. And it, it was weird. It was immediately weird. And I, you know when you just feel off with a friend? It felt off. And I remember, like, the rest of the night thinking, man, we just, like, we got to get this cleared up before things get too out of hand. Um, but the night ended and we didn't get it cleared up. And I went to bed that night thinking about it, and then I woke up the next morning. You know, as I'm sure some of you, like, you know exactly that feeling I'm talking about. We were just like, ugh, we have got to talk about this. It's so weird. And then one day passed, two days, and then a week, and then a month. <laughs> and it just kept going on. And the longer it went on, it, and we were doing the awkward, like, trying to avoid each other getting into cars thing, the longer it went on, the deeper the offense went. And that hurt that I was initially feeling turned into anger. And the anger inside of, at least for me, ended up, I could feel it. I know how to identify it now that it ended up turning into contempt. Because here's what happened. There was a shift that happened inside of me where I stopped wanting to make things right with her. And I just wanted to be right. My thinking switched from, oh, we need to get things right to, you know what? Actually, I'm right. I, like, she needs to come and apologize to me. Like, oh, I'm just going to wait for her now. Like, you know, she knows Jesus. Jesus can convict her. She can come knock on my door. That was kind of how I, it sounds very immature. I know. I, <laughs> I know that now. <laughs> um, we eventually moved, not because of that at all, um, but we did move. And every time I thought about that situation years later, because it went on for years, I um, just got so like deep inside, we we're just like, I would just get so bothered. And so what I learned to do is compartmental. I don't even know if it's called compartmentalizing in this case. I think I just vaulted it away somewhere deep inside of me. Like I didn't like to think about it when they're, it was just, it was just terrible. And I can think of other times in my life though, maybe not quite as extreme where this sort of thing has happened, where I've gotten angry and I've just let myself sit in it. 
And I wonder like, if you can probably just go there with me right now, thinking of a time whenever you have something similar, or maybe not exactly like that, but something has happened to you where you just let yourself sit in something for just a little too long, where you have a disagreement with a spouse or a, or a child, and you just let yourself like sit in the low simmer all day. <laughs> Or if you find out that your friends are having a dinner party and you weren't invited or, you know, they go out somewhere and you're, you're like your you're best friends and you're like, what? No. And then the hurt just turns into anger. Andy Stanley, he wrote a book called Enemies of the Heart and he says that the underlying feeling of anger, I think this is so interesting, the underlying feeling of anger is you owe me. You owe me. Um, a turn signal. You owe me a promotion. You owe me an invitation. You owe me an apology. You owe me, like, and you fill in the blank of whatever it is that you think you're owed. But somebody owes me something somewhere because I'm hurt. And I just want to suggest to us that one of the ways our anger comes out over this kind of stuff is not usually just by up and murdering someone. It's through our words first, our words first. Jesus goes on in verse 22 and he says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Um, that word Raka is not a word we use very often today, but it is a word that means empty-headed. So it would be like um, saying, you stupid. It's like expressing contempt for a person's head. The word fool is um, expressing contempt for a, person's care, for a person's heart. So raka attacks intellect, fool attacks character. Uh, I just want to mention as, as an aside, because I think it's important to note that in the New Testament, we see Jesus call people fools. He's usually talking about the scribes and the Pharisees. He does use the term fool. The pro if you read the book of Proverbs, you know that Proverbs talks about fools and, and foolishness. Paul also uses the word fool. So we do see examples of this in the Bible. But there is a difference between giving an accurate description of someone who is being or acting foolishly and having just a, a dismissive contempt for them. So, for example, I told you earlier I have three boys. They are at uh, 16, 14, and no, sorry, 16, 13, 12. It's hard. It's hard to remember, you know? So anyways, 16, 13, 12. And we're going into birthdays. It's, it's a whole thing. Anyways, but I will tell them when they're acting foolishly. And it's not because I have contempt for them. It's because I care very much for them. It's not that I'm attacking their intellect I am just, or their character. I'm just saying what you did or the way you are behaving right now is acting like a fool. Let's course correct. And it's very much because I care for them. It's not me just calling them a name out of anger. And so that's the difference. So what Jesus is saying is the word raka and the word fool, as he's talking about in verse 22, whenever we're just doing it out of, out of spite, Jesus says, don't do that. Don't attack somebody's character and call them a name just because you're upset with them. And so Jesus is getting at something I believe that is very, very important here. When he says both of these things, raka and fool, it's this. Our words bear witness to the things that are going on inside of us. 
If we fast forward a few chapters in the book of Matthew to Matthew 12, Jesus says that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Have you ever caught yourself saying something and going, man, I didn't know that was in there? (laughs) I do. And I will often think to myself, man, if my mouth is this quick to spew out these kind of words, like what is going on inside of me? Like what is in there that I need to deal with? As I said at the beginning of our time today, most of us probably feel pretty okay about like the whole do not murder thing. Like check that one off the list. Like I'm good, golden. But when Jesus talks about not being angry, he's deepening the thing so that it applies to just all of us now. We may not be murderers, but we are all talkers. We all have mouths and we can use them for good or for evil. Proverbs 18:21 says that the power or sorry that the tongue has the power of life and death. It really does. Our words matter. Our words matter. So anger starts inside of us and it usually works its way up through our mouths first. And eventually, yes, eventually it can, not always, but it can turn into physical harm. So this is the problem. That's the first thing. Jesus has identified the problem, and it's anger. Here's the second thing. Jesus is going to give us two examples. I love that he gives us two examples. The first example he's going to give us of being angry is when we're angry with a friend or when we're at odds with a friend. Let's read verses 23 and 24 again. Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Okay, so here's what we need to know about the story. Again, I'm just going to say it so many times. Jesus is the best teacher. He's so good. He is intentionally being a little funny here. You and I probably miss this because we don't, we're not living in the first century. But the people who were sitting there, under, like they maybe even chuckled a little bit or kind of wondered about this. Because when he says leave uh, your, your gift at the altar, when, you, when he talks about leaving their gift at the altar and then going back, he, the altar that he's talking about is located in Jerusalem, okay? But Jesus was not teaching in Jerusalem. Jesus was teaching at, by the Sea of Galilee, which is about 70 miles away from the altar. So when Jesus says, leave your gift at the altar, then go and be reconciled with somebody, and then go back and make it. So what, in other words, Jesus isn't saying, hey, just leave your pew, come up to the front, and then you can just, and then remember, and then go back three rows. Jesus is talking 70 miles here. 70, go all the way back home, get right with your person, and then come back. And actually, in fact, so if they're sitting by the Sea of Galilee, first of all, they would have had to travel 70 miles to get there. They would have had to get there and then be like, oh, wait, right. Go back the other 70 miles, get things right, then go back, actually make the offering, and then go back home. That's that's like four times. That's a lot of miles. Um, And just to give you an idea, I actually Googled this or MapQuested it, whatever the app is. I was just curious, just so that we can put this in our own context, okay? How far is 70 miles from here? It's about, if we didn't take the most direct route and didn't take number one, but if we started walking today, right now, to get 70 miles, it would take us to Chilliwack. We'd have to go through Maple Ridge Mission, kind of the roundabout way. It would take us about 20 and a half hours to walk it. That's a lot of time, right? That's one way. Jesus here is implying there, back, 
their back. That is a lot of time. He's using a very exaggerated version of this on purpose. And here's the point I believe Jesus is making. When we need to be reconciled with one another, it is going to cost us some stuff. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us convenience. Because, again, this is not like a one-day trip here Jesus is talking about. It costs us some things sometimes to get right with people. And it may not be the most convenient route we wanted, but there it is. And Jesus says, even if it's hard, even if it's costly, do it. It also takes humility because it says, whoever, I don't know if you noticed, um, in verse 23, it says, whoever has something against you. It's not like you have beef with them. It's somebody, like you know that somebody's upset with you. Go and get things right with them. He's also saying, I believe, that reconciliation trumps even the sacredness of making an offering in the temple. To translate that into our language today, Jesus is far more concerned about our hearts and about you and I being rightly related to one another, about you and I being in right relationship with one another than he is concerned about what we think the church needs from us. The church needs us for sure, but he is far more concerned that you and I are good with one another, that we're functioning in right relationship with one another. Mark 12, 33 says, to love the Lord with all of your heart and with all of your understanding and with all of your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. It matters. I don't know why we do this thing where we think we can just silo off our relationship with God. And like as long as that's okay or we think it's okay, but we're at a mess with everybody else in our lives, we still think we're okay. And that's, he's, he's saying the exact opposite here. Our relationship with God is tied up in our relationship with other people. He goes on and doesn't just use the example of being reconciled with a friend, which maybe you and I can understand. Like when we're at odds with a friend, it's kind of like something hurts inside of us. We want to get okay with them. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. Don't just be okay with your, with your people. Be okay with your enemies. So he says um, when you're at odds with your enemy, verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. So the distinction in this um, example is that Jesus says to do it quickly. Do it quickly. And I just, again, he's such a practical teacher. But I think practically he's just like, listen, if we let it fester, and how many of you know this, it only makes things worse. Only makes things worse. That's true even with a friend, even with a very close friend. But when it is someone who you're already at odds with, somebody you already don't see eye to eye with, maybe somebody like there's a bit of history there, how much more so this is true? Things can escalate so much quicker with an enemy. And so this big picture Jesus is giving us with both of these examples is that anger not only are, um, fractures our relationships with one another, it can ultimately fracture our relationship with God. Because I don't know why we think we could just like yell at our kids in anger and then like and like not in a holy anger, like in the orgizo kind of anger. And then we can just come into church and be like, oh, but 
good, we're good. Or why we can just get super angry and live in a state of anger with our family, our parents, or our spouse, or whoever it is, and just keep acting like nothing happened, and just keep that siloed off. John Mark Homer, who I love, he says about these verses, um, he says, our relationship with God, I quoted him earlier, but his, our relationship with God is tied up in our relationship with other people. And I think it's so true, because um, I don't know, when I feel, like even this morning as I use that example of me and, me and my husband, um, I could feel the out of stepness, like I could feel the Holy Spirit inside of me saying, just get things right, get things right with them. Bef- like before I <laughs> come and talk to a whole lot of people about anger, <laughs> that might be good. <laughs> And it was, but not like even if I weren't doing that this morning, I would have, do you see, like I still would have felt that inside of me where he would have been like, the, where the Holy Spirit would have spoken to me and said, just get things right. Do it quickly. Do it quickly. Friend or enemy, go get it right with them. Go after them and get it right. Um, so here's the third movement. He's told us the problem, given us some examples. Now he's going to give us a solution, a way forward. He says in the last few verses, I wonder if you noticed, he doesn't just say, hey, listen, don't be angry. Just don't be angry. Good luck. You'll do it. I know you can. He actually gives us a really good way forward, and the way forward is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Um, the word for reconciliation is dialasso. I'm probably not saying that right in the Greek, but it means this. It means to exchange, to end needless hostility, a mutual concession. There's a lot that we could say here, um, all sorts of implications about reconciliation, forgiveness, and all these things. And I do want to make a distinction. There are times when the people who have hurt us the people uh, who we're angry with or are angry with us, they're just not safe people. Like, they're, they're not people that we should be alone in a room with. I'm thinking here of um, abusive type of situations, just really unhealthy type of situations. And so I just want to say that forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. In other words, it is possible, completely possible, to extend forgiveness to someone and not be in a um, reconciled relationship with them. And for some of us, the best thing that we can just do is recognize that anger actually has been festering and we just choose to forgive or even to take it a step uh, back. Maybe for some of us, the very first thing that we would have to do is just pray that God would even give us the desire to forgive because that's not even there. But for others of us, who it is totally within our capacity to go and to make things right, we absolutely should. Uh, when we moved away from our street, um, when we were living in Alabama, uh, it was, I want to say, maybe four years later, I can't remember anymore, but it was years later, after everything had happened and my friend and I had had that disagreement, and I was just in this really sweet place with the Lord where I was like pressing in and Lord, I want to know you. And I'm just praying this. I'm like, would you take me deeper and like show me anything in my life? That, you know, that's a dangerous prayer. Show me anything in my life. 
that you want to deal with, Lord, and just take, you know. And I was just like praying that. And as I'm praying this, like her face just kept coming to my mind. And I was like, oh, get behind me, Satan. Like, no, I'm not like, why is this coming to my, stay in the vault, stay in the vault. And for like morning after morning after morning, like this is, and well, not even just in the morning, like it just kept coming to my mind, coming to my mind. And I don't know why I was, I don't know, I could blame age or just ignorance. I'm not sure. But um, it took me maybe a little too long <laughs> to realize that the Lord was actually speaking to me and like, this is, you need to deal with this. And I was like, Ugh. okay. So I did the thing, the thing that Matthew 5 lays out for us. And I was like, okay. So I went, they had moved to a different state, her and her husband. And so I like, Facebook was, this could make me sound really old, but Facebook was like pretty new at the time. <laughs> so I felt like a real like sleuth. I was like, I'm just going to find them. And so I did, I found them, got a hold of them. And um, we spoke on the phone and, and got things right. And it was great. They have since come up here, and we've had dinner with them, and it's been like things are are wonderful. And I look back on that story, and I'm just like, oh, how much time and anger was wasted, like just rotting me at least on the inside out. The solution that that um, that Jesus lays out for us here is very very practical. It's right in the text. And actually, to quote John Mark Homer again, because he was the first one I heard teach on this, and I was like, oh, it's just right here in the text, but it just made so much sense to me. We go to them, to whoever's hurt us or we've hurt. We settle things with them, just the best way that we can. And then last, we should do it quickly. I failed to do that in my example, but we do it with some urgency because we don't want to let the thing grow. And God's intent with all of this, and this is what Jesus is teaching us here, is that if we are not angry with one another, if we can eliminate anger, then murder won't happen. And maybe this all just sounds easy enough, you know? Like, okay, that like, sounds like a pretty good one, two, three step plan. We all know it isn't. But just, again, to, to circle back around to this unique cultural moment that we're all sitting in, there's so many things that we could be angry over. So many things. And there aren't any two sides to, to, to this whole, like so all the things that, that have happened in the news in the last little while. It's so complex, and I'm, I'm not going to get into all of it. But I do want to say, no matter our position on so many of the things that are happening, one thing that we can probably all agree on is that people, even within the church, people are deeply divided, deeply divided. And I just, oh, I can't help, like it grieves me. I think it grieves the spirit of God. But this, this division is leading to anger. And the longer it festers, the angrier we get. And this anger is turning into contempt, where we look on others as beneath us who disagree with us. And this is exactly the kind of anger that Jesus is addressing here in Matthew 5. The good news in all of it is that Jesus tells us exactly how we are to deal with it. In a world that would tell you and I just to fight for our own rights, to fight for our own rightness, for our own agendas, Jesus actually calls us toward reconciliation. That's what he's calling us toward. This is what he did for us. 
He set the example for us laid down his life for us. We sang about it today. Like while we were still sinners, far off from him, he came for us. He could have written us off. He could have. Could have washed his hands of us, done away with us, but he didn't. He did the costly thing, the inconvenient, the inconvenient thing, the humbling thing. It led him to a cross. And he reconciled us to himself. And I just want to say that if you and I are going to be radical followers of Jesus, radically committed to him, then you and I must follow him in the way of radical reconciliation. And I do believe that the church ought to be leading the way in these uncertain times. The church ought to be showing what reconciliation looks like in a very angry world. The church ought to be leading the way in showing how we can still live in unity even though we don't fully agree with one another all the time. We should be showing as a church that we care more about being right with one another than we care about being right. Um, I'm going to call the worship team back up now just as we close. I'm actually just going to invite you to stand. I don't know how you normally close a service, but this is how we'll do it today. And I just wanted to ask you to pause and consider in your own heart, are there people in your life that you need to be reconciled with? People you need to forgive. People from whom you need to ask forgiveness. And I just want to invite the Holy Spirit, like if you would be willing, if we could all together just invite the Holy Spirit to do the deep work in us. Like I know it's uncomfortable, and it sounds like work, and some of you, you know, like I know sometimes you come into church and you're like, man, I didn't need it to get all heavy today. I just wanted to come and be with my people. But I am just so convinced that Jesus wants us to be free of stuff that has entangled us. And I don't know, maybe for even just one of you, today is that day. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything, raise your hand, or just between you and the Lord. Like if you're feeling that sense of like, oh, I need to get things right. I just wanna encourage you to let the Spirit of God do the good work that He wants to do in you and not push it aside. I do believe that um, Jesus is not messing around when He says that we are to love one another and that our relationships really are tied up with each other and with Him. And the good news is that he is for us. Jesus is for us. He wants us to be free. So I want to just pray this. This is a liturgical prayer that I found. Um, I have prayed it over our church at The Way, and I want to pray it over you. So if you just want to close your eyes, and we'll end this way. Oh, Spirit of God, 
when I feel the urge to express my pain as anger directed at another, restrain my tongue, reframe my frustration, stay my hands, reign in my heart, fill me afresh with your grace. Let me see and name my own emotion rightly. For at the root of this mess is the good, deep, and heartbreaking desire for reunion. And my anger cannot achieve that end. Jesus, do your good work through the Spirit of God. Amen.